Hey guys, Reed Coverdale here. Thank you for watching another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist or listening if you're on audio platforms. Um, if you're trying to find all my different platforms, you can find them listed in the description with links. So please follow me everywhere because um, I'm banned off of Twitter. I get suspended from Facebook here and there. Uh, doing pretty well on YouTube still, but uh, you know you can't be too careful these days. So just make sure you follow me everywhere. Um, so something kind of interesting has happened in the last week. Uh, a lot of you guys know that I used to be a supporter of Tulsi Gabbard's. I'm still friends with her. I like some of what she does. Um, but I actually campaigned on her presidential campaign back in 2019 and 2020. And she just left the Democratic Party last week. And then she made a list of kind of surprising endorsements. So I wanted to talk about that, that a little bit. So first off, I wanted to explain to those who don't know why I actually campaigned for her two years ago. So or coming up, actually, I guess three years ago now I started campaigning for her. it was fall of 2019. So three years ago, um, after 2016, I'd kind of given up on presidential politics, wasn't really that invested in it anymore to me they all lied and they all stabbed you in the back and it didn't really make a difference if we had a democrat or a republican in office and anyone like rand paul whom i had supported in 2016 wasn't going to make it anywhere close to the white house i found that to be obvious after 2016 and i'd kind of given up on the libertarian party because they just had such a poor showing in 2016 with gary johnson and bill weld and um i was an independent I had left the Republican Party officially in 2018. I had voted for Gary Johnson as a Republican. And then when I went in to vote in the midterms, I disaffiliated with the Republican Party and became an independent. And if people would ask me what I was, I wouldn't even say libertarian. I'd usually say independent. And if we dug into it a little bit more, I'd say, yeah, I'm libertarian leaning independent. Um, and I was more of a moderate libertarian back then. I mean, the last two years have really kind of pushed me in a <laughs> much more radical direction when it comes to abolition versus, um, reform. I've become an abolitionist, uh, when I, I was very much a reformist. I, uh, would probably have disagreed with libertarians on things like the department of the interior. Um, and then even like the environmental protection agency i really probably would have said that i just think it needs to be uh audited and reduced to much you know a much less complex system than we have now um i have realized over the last couple of years that that's just not the nature of government it doesn't constrain itself you have to destroy it and you have to have an alternative to it because the very nature of government is centralization seizure of power and wealth and there's really nothing you can do about it um so i i'm no i'm no longer a reformist uh but that was why i was willing to overlook some of the disagreements i had with her um and most of the disagreements i had with her were areas where she would not have control as president so for example i didn't agree with her on gun control which was actually a huge point of contention between us on the campaign trail um I was constantly nagging her every event that I was at that she needed to adjust her views on guns and she was going to lose thousands of foes if she didn't. Um, but I did disagree with her in several other areas. One really big one was free college. I think that's absolutely insane. 
I think way too many people go to college. And, and I thought exactly this way back then too. We should destigmatize the college uh, necessity. Like, I mean, they're, they're, people are convinced that they need to go to college to get a good paying job. And that's just not true. We need to stop telling that to them in high school. I mean, I, I never went to college. I've made over six figures a year. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm more well read on most events than most people are. So the idea that you need to go to college to make good money or to be informed is just not true. Uh, I disagreed with her on healthcare. She wanted a single payer plus system, which was basically you had to pay in to a baseline Medicare system that everyone would get. And then if you wanted to upgrade it, you were allowed to. So it didn't abolish private insurance, but it basically made it obsolete. Um, and I wasn't in support of that. She was also in support of like a $15 minimum wage, which I, even at the time, I still disagreed with that. Um, she talked about like reparations about, she didn't have like some insane retarded plan that she was going to implement, but she did say it was something we should research, which was like, uh, I was pretty disappointed that she jumped on that bandwagon. Um, and then, uh, what else she, she, oh yeah, she had the off fossil fuels act, which wasn't as insane as the green new deal. But if you look at it, it, it was still dumb. I mean, it was trying to transfer us off of fossil fuels within the next couple decades without using nuclear with just using wind and solar. And I think that's another thing that she's kind of gone back on lately because she's talking a lot about energy independence now. I mean, we, we can't have energy independence without using oil. And she wanted to ban fracking, ban offshore drilling, uh, I think ban Arctic drilling and, you know, just turn everything to green and, uh, you know, green energy, solar and wind in the next couple decades. So that was actually the first thing I talked to her about when I met her. Um, so the way I found out about her was in, I think it was late August of 2019. Um, I hadn't even watched any of the presidential debates. I didn't even know who was running. I think I knew Joe Biden was running and that was like it. I, I was completely tuned out, wasn't paying attention at all. And then I saw this billboard up in Conway or somewhere. I was going hiking or it was in Sandwich or uh, I forget where exactly. Somewhere up north in New Hampshire, there was this big billboard that said Tulsi 2020. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if this was a man or a woman. I didn't know uh, who this person was, what they were running for. All, for all I know, it could have been governor, mayor, just said Tulsi 2020. Didn't say for president or anything. So didn't even know who that was. Um, and then I went home after hiking and um, I just was YouTubing something. I forget what it was. And this political ad popped up and it was Tulsi. And she was talking about the border crisis and she was saying we can establish, you know, um, we can establish common sense uh, immigration reform and secure the border, which was just an outside of the box opinion, because I don't know if you guys remember, but in 2019, the debates were so heated over um immigration like that was one of the biggest things because trump was the big bad orange man uh you know deporting everybody so they had the democrats were just like oh i'm gonna give them free health care oh yeah well i'm gonna give them free houses and free health care oh yeah well i'm gonna give them free gender reassignments i mean it was just kind of 
almost a meme how far to the left people were willing to go about uh, funding illegal immigrants who came here. And she was saying this and I was like, wow, OK, that's an outside of the box perspective, especially for a Democrat to kind of take this common sense position of we can overhaul the immigration system, but also have a secure border. So it piqued my interest and I went to her website and I didn't even know that she was a Democrat yet. I don't think I, I was. I think that was actually the first thing I was trying to figure out was, is this a Democrat or a Republican? Then I went to the website and I saw that, you know, she supported Medicare for all or the single payer. I, I, she kind of changed her mind halfway through. It was like Medicare for all and then single payer plus and then like Medicare choice. She had like these different names for it. I forget what it was at that time. Um, so I realized I disagreed with her on a few issues, but overall she sounded really reasonable. That was the first thing that struck me about her. And then, um, I ended up, you know, just Googling her name to try to find out more about her. And I found out about the stop arming terrorists act that she had introduced into the house. And then Rand Paul had been the only Senator to co-sponsor it, which was designed to, you know, stop the U S government from selling weapons to, uh, you know, the Syrian moderate rebel, moderate rebels who were really Al Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, and so this really made me way more interested because I'd been a Rand Paul supporter in 2016. And one of the top issues that he alerted me to was the joke that the war in Syria was and why we shouldn't be arming these people uh, that we had no idea who they were. Um, so I decided, all right, I'm I'm interested in this woman. And so I actually found this um, this vice piece that was done about her. And I think it was supposed to be a hit piece. But the headline, as you can see, if you're listening, it says Tulsi Gabbard is extremely anti-war and still defending her visit with Assad. And I don't think I knew about the Assad thing before this. So I looked into that later. But I'm just going to play, uh, you know, a few seconds of this uh, video. <laughs> On most other issues, she sounds like any other Democrat. She supports tackling climate change by funding renewable energy sources, putting the screws to Wall Street, and pushing a single-payer option. I support passing Medicare for All because we've got to make sure that every single person in this country who's sick or need of care is able to get that care, regardless of how much or how little you have in your pocket. Where she aligns with President Trump is wanting to bail on conflicts on foreign soil, like the one in Afghanistan. Now, there's an issue that's central to all of these that I, that I think it's important to address, and that is the cost of war. Our foreign policy is inseparable from our domestic policy because as we're talking about the needs of our people, that requires resources, that requires investment. We as taxpayers are spending $4 billion every month in Afghanistan. She shocked people in 2017 when she played diplomat and flew to Syria, where she met with President Bashar al-Assad, a despot who's brutalized his people. Whatever you think about uh, President Assad, the fact is that he is the president of Syria. Uh, in order for any peace agreement, in order for any possibility of a viable peace agreement to occur, there has to be a conversation with him. Do you believe that Assad was behind the use of chemical weapons that he used against his own people? There have been a lot of different chemical weapons attacks, and I think they have been perpetuated 
uh, perpetrated by the Assad government, as well as other terrorist groups and other actors on the ground. Sure, so the tough questions that I ask come from the understanding that I will do all that I can to not allow a single uh, one more of my brothers and sisters in uniform to be used in a war being waged on false pretenses or to put their lives at risk unnecessarily in. Okay, so at this point, I was already in love. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to do much more than say that. Like once you are pointing out that regardless of how bad Assad or insert name of whatever dictator you want, regardless of how bad they are, they don't pose a threat to the United States national security and no American soldiers should die fighting them. And, you know, one of the few things I was hoping to get out of President Trump was a little bit of isolationism as far as foreign policy goes. I thought he was actually going to try to pull us out of Afghanistan, maybe, or that he wouldn't, you know, continue the war in Syria. And he did put a little bit of a damper on. He stopped funding the terrorists, which was a good thing, but he didn't do nearly enough. He bombed them. Uh, he didn't pull the troops out. Um, he just repositioned them, which even that gave him flack later on in his presidency. Uh, he was escalating tensions with Iran. Um, so unfortunately, Donald Trump wasn't giving me a good enough reason to vote for him. I hadn't voted for him in 2016, but when he was elected, I was open minded. And especially after the whole Kim Jong Un thing, I was really like kind of open minded about him because. I had been a severe Trump, uh, Trump critic in 2016 because he was saying some insane shit. But then once he got in there, it struck me that he wasn't really that much different than any other president. And they were just looking at him as this some sort of extreme evil. And when he met with Kim Jong-un, you know, two weeks after we thought we were going to be in nuclear war <laughs> and it somehow de-escalated and he was meeting with Kim over in uh korea i was like this is incredible and everyone should be celebrating this but the media was just dragging trump through the mud although as though he were some sort of uh you know dictator sympathizer um and i was just like what what is going on here like this is the best thing he has done his entire presidency um but, you know, that was really all he could give me. Uh, he vetoed the resolution to end the war in Yemen. Uh, he brought drone strikes to an all time high and stopped the recording of how many drone strikes we'd done per year. Um, he also dropped more bombs in four years than Obama did in eight. So he was not anti-war by any stretch. And I mean, he was just terrible on China. And the other thing that blew my mind is everyone was calling him a Russian asset, but he was funding the Ukrainians and he started giving them weapons even when Obama wouldn't do that before. So I, I really was confused why he was being framed as a Russian asset or a dictator sympathizer when my issues were that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't dovish enough, like by any stretch. He was basically a repeat of Obama. That was my big issue with him, and that's why I wouldn't vote for him. So all these insults they're hurling at Tulsi, I was like, what are you talking about? This is all great stuff. This is um, this is amazing. This is exactly what we need in a president. You know, th th those were all uh, that that was what I was thinking about her. Um, 
So I just wanted to play this ad real quick that she put out. This is an amazing anti-war ad she did well uh, that she did in 2019. Uh, let's just play it here. Here are the steps that Donald Trump has taken to create a war with Iran. First, he tore up the Iran nuclear agreement. I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. Second, he has escalated crippling sanctions against Iran. The sanctions kicking in at midnight Sunday target Iran's oil exports, banking and shipping. Even though UN inspectors say Iran is still complying with the nuclear deal. The United States will pursue additional sanctions. Tougher than ever before. Third, he designated Iran's military as a terrorist organization. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has announced that the U.S. is designating the Iranian Revolutionary Guard as a terror group. Today, the United States is continuing to build its maximum pressure campaign against the Iranian regime. I'm announcing our intent to designate the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, including its Quds Force, as a foreign terrorist organization. With this terror designation, the U.S. can sanction pretty much anybody who talks to or deals with or has any business whatsoever with the IRGC. And for he continues to deploy more and more U.S. troops to the region. Just moments ago, the Pentagon authorized an additional 1,000 American troops to the Middle East in response to growing concerns over Iran. The Trump administration announced yesterday that a U.S. aircraft carrier and a bomber task force are being sent to areas closer to Iran. Yes, there will indeed be hell to pay. Let my message today be very clear. We are watching and we will come after you. We've got to stop Donald Trump from starting a war with Iran. I'm asking you to join me and support my legislation, the No More Presidential Wars Act. All right. So <laughs> that is that ad is just absolute fucking fire. Um, like I said, all the other candidates were not pushing back against Trump for his foreign policy. Some of them were saying that he was actually, too, like I said earlier, too much of a dictator sympathizer. But then other criticisms were just that he was a white supremacist or he was a misogynist or whatever like none of the none of the insults actually bit so tulsi was angry at him for like she said in that ad pushing for escalation with iran and then in other ads she talked about him you know aiding the saudis in the genocide of yemen um you know how he wouldn't bring the troops home from afghanistan how he wouldn't um you know try to cool tensions with russia and china just all amazing stuff. And this is why she was called a Russian asset. So I worked on her campaign from, I think it was late August or early September of 2019 until February uh, when the primary was in New Hampshire. And it was an interesting group of people. We had libertarians, Republicans, independents, uh, Democrats, socialists, commies, veterans. Like, I mean, every group imaginable, was all together in support of Tulsi, which was kind of cool. It was kind of interesting that that many people, despite whatever uh, disagreements they'd have, they'd all come together under one banner. And we all supported her for president, and it obviously didn't go well. Um, she spent like 90% of her time in New Hampshire, and she came in seventh place, which we were hoping for like third or fourth place. Uh, so she could leverage her delegates if she got enough by the, you know, the time the race rolled out. But it just uh, didn't go well. So she came in seventh. After she came in seventh, I was basically like, OK, good luck, Tulsi. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there, there's no chance. There's no way. Uh, but she kept campaigning. She went down to South Carolina 
And then she went out to like Colorado and California and Utah and did a whole bunch of campaigning for Super Tuesday. And then I think on Super Tuesday, she got two delegates because she either came in first or second in American Samoa. And that was it. And then, um, you know, everybody else dropped out and endorsed Biden. And then um, so it was her with two delegates. And then Biden had like. 700 or something and then bernie had like 680 or something and then uh covid hit and she dropped out and endorsed biden which uh <laughs> i'll be honest i was not expecting that uh she did a lot of unexpected shit but that really that was a curveball i was bracing myself for when she inevitably endorsed bernie because i wasn't even looking i wasn't looking forward to that because i do not like bernie um, and economic policy aside, I don't like Bernie because I think he's a fraud and he's voted for so much war, especially since this time. But even before, like we already knew his record, he'd voted for the Iraqi Liberation Act. He constantly said Assad must go. Um, rhetorically, he would occasionally criticize Israel, but he'd always vote to fund them. Um, he's a lot like AOC, just an older, uglier AOC. Um, so that was what I had been mentally preparing myself for, but that's not what she did. She endorsed Biden and she said that we disagree on a lot of issues, but I know that he has a good heart and he will lead this country with the spirit of Aloha. And I took a couple days to think about what to say in response. And I had, uh, been similarly floored when Rand Paul endorsed Donald Trump because I didn't know back in 2016 that he had endorsed Mitt Romney in 2012 while his dad was still in the race. I, I did not realize that at the time. And I, you know, after Ron Paul's race in 2012, I went back and kind of looked at it admirably and watched a lot of the debate videos and everything in like 2013, 2014. And that's kind of when I started to become a libertarian. And so I really thought Rand Paul was going to be a replica of his dad. And so when he endorsed Trump, it just really threw me for a ringer. I didn't I didn't know how to process it. And I was in a similar situation here. Um, and then I think I also found out I can't remember if it was before the fact or after the fact that Tulsi had endorsed um, Hillary Clinton in 2016 after Bernie dropped out. So as many of you know, she stepped down as vice chair of the DNC to endorse Bernie over Hillary. That definitely did happen. But then after Bernie endorsed Hillary, Tulsi also endorsed Hillary. You can look that up. It's not fake. It's 100 percent true. She at least said that's what she did on the news, which I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's not like there's anything explicitly evil about that. It's just um, you, you're obviously not dealing with a revolutionary. Um, and. So after a few days, this really didn't sit well with me. And I was really upset that she did it. And the reason I was so upset is because I'd campaigned for her and I'd told people like, this is the real deal. She's great. She's, you know, different than everybody else. And even though she'd been, you know, slighted by the Democratic Party so much and just marginalized, pushed out of the debates. I mean, I I uh, protested here in New Hampshire when she was not allowed to debate. Um and, you know, all this shit had happened to her. And so I was hoping she was just going to give the Democrats a fist and be like, fuck you, I'm out. But that's not what she did. She endorsed Biden, which 
I feel like I kind of knew she was going to uh, eventually endorse the nominee, but it was like, why did you have to make such a big deal out of it? And especially while the race is still going. And I know Bernie's bad, but he's not Biden. Like Biden is so awful. And um, I don't know. It, it just didn't sit well with me. So um, ever since then, I've had like an on and off approval of Tulsi. So she initially kind of went all in on COVID. Uh, she was upset at the governor of Hawaii for not shutting the state down quickly enough. And she was constantly tweeting about how we need to shut down air travel and we need to do contact tracing. And she actually was a, a co-sponsor of the Trace Act. Um, H, I think it was HR 666, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, and back in 2020, this was right around the time I started my show. Um, I think I talked about it at the time that she was doing that. And it really shocked me that she'd be willing to go that far on all this crap. So she, she kind of went all in on it. And then um, it seemed like throughout the summer, the Democrats just completely rejected her. Uh, they didn't let her speak at the DNC uh, rally where I think almost every other uh, every other presidential candidate was allowed to speak, uh, even ones that didn't win any delegates. And then her arch nemesis, uh, Kamala Harris, ended up being the VP pick. And so after that, Tulsi kind of reignited her independent spirit and she introduced some great legislation toward the end of her career in congress she introduced like the end the patriot act bill with thomas massey uh she introduced legislation to free assange to um pardon snowden and then to re repeal the espionage act all really really great stuff um and then she threw some weird curveballs about like abortion and transgender people on sports teams i don't really care so much about that but it was kind of a whoa what's going on here um, so then I was a fan of her again, you know, tepidly. I was like, okay. And so now she was pushed out of the Democrat party. And I thought, well, the libertarians should talk to her. Like, we don't want to run her for president or anything. We, she, you know, but we should talk to her and maybe talk to her about joining the party. And she could be some sort of figurehead, maybe run for vice president or something. Cause that's a mostly ceremonial role anyway. Um, and so I actually tried to set up some connections for her and, uh, several people told me, yeah, I'd totally be willing to talk to her. And we got in contact with her and the, we, it was just kind of left on her end. Like, okay, all these people are willing to talk to you. Tell us what you want. And then nothing happened. Um, and so then, you know, since then she's kind of gone back and forth, like, some days I really, really like what she has to say. And then some days she just says like the dumbest shit ever. Usually the dumbest shit ever is stuff surrounding 9-11 and why the terrorists attacked us or whatever. And then she had this really bad moment on Tucker Carlson where she was talking about how uh, drone strikes are how we should be fighting wars because they're targeted and they only kill the people intended. And it was when Tucker was asking her, how should we hold accountable these people that got a bunch of civilians murdered in a drone strike in Afghanistan and why aren't they getting fired? And she came on and basically said, well, yeah, that's bad, but we really, you know, should do more drone strikes in it. Um, a lot of people were kind of uh, taken aback by that and they were acting like she was actually uh, 
doing a flip-flop and that she was, you know, she'd been bought out by the neocons or something, but that's actually not true. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was never anti war on terror. And this was something she has not tried to hide. She hasn't been dishonest about it at all. She's always said, I'm a hawk on terror and I'm a dove on regime change. So she wants to fight ISIS. She wants to fight Al Qaeda. What she doesn't want to do is fight Russia. She doesn't want to fight China. She doesn't want to fight Iran. She doesn't want to give weapons to terrorists. She doesn't want to topple Assad because that's stupid. It's, I mean, it's just, I mean, even if you're the, the fact that that's not just considered retarded. And if you're, you know, someone who wants to fight terrorism around the globe, you should be considered a hawk. And if you're someone who's actually anti-war, you should say, nah, this isn't any of our business. That's policing the world. But we're, as, as Ryan says, we're so far in our own end zone that someone who is not retarded and knows, you know, military, uh, history and tactics and also just knows who the people are that we're talking about and doesn't want to go into direct wars with major powers they're a peacenik now like tulsi gabbard is cast as a peacenik and that's just not true so i wanted to play this clip from a show i did with scott horton uh, a little bit over a year ago and he talks about um you know who tulsi gabbard really is so let, let's just play this clip and then i'll discuss but you're right. I mean, she really only gets partial credit and people should understand that in the context of the Barack Obama years and the war in Syria, that what was happening there was just absolutely crazy. Right, it was yeah. treason. And not just was it treason, but it was like angel dust, just bat shit nuts. Like, are you kidding me? that this is your policy of backing Al-Qaeda in Iraq, the bad guys from the last war, as long as the enemies they're fighting, these secular uh, Alawites and others that they're fighting are friends with Iran. You're willing to commit the highest treason in backing Ayman al-Zawahiri's men. Now, for a critic like me, I, I can tell who's who over there, right? The average Joe doesn't get it because morning Joe won't explain it. Right. But to a guy like me and the antiwar.com boys and whatever, we get it. People in the know, the best foreign policy people on Twitter, we get it. Right. The average person doesn't really have a chance to understand that. But Tulsi Gabbard, she was in Iraq War II and she was stationed at the Balad Air Base north of Baghdad. And so the guys who were, and she was like at a medical unit, right? She was a major in a medical unit. So there are people who are wounded and dying around her, you know, horribly maimed and dying around her, fighting the Sunni insurgency in Iraq War II, the worst, most merciless, murderous part of which was Al-Qaeda in Iraq. These are right. the head choppers, suicide bomber, butcher, murderers. They'd go into a marketplace full of Shiite women buying, you know, vegetables and then suicide bomb the place. And then when the medics come, just like John Brennan with his drones, then when the medics come, bomb them too, right? And, and these were these guys were butchers, and they were they were killing Americans too. So Tulsi Gabbard, in other words, was immersed in this part of the war. She therefore could tell the shirts from the skins. A couple of years later, just a couple of years later. She's being told that on the other side of the border, your enemy are the heroes. 
Right. And you're supposed to be too damn dumb to tell the difference, or at least just too uneducated to know who's who and why it matters. We don't call them Al-Qaeda in Iraq anymore. We call them moderate rebels now, okay? America swallows that. Congress swallows that. Sure, whatever, Assad, bad, Iran, bad, Israel, good, whatever, whatever. Tulsi Gabbard is a veteran of the war and says, no, 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 I'm sorry. The Sunni-based insurgency of which Al-Qaeda in Iraq in Syria is the bloody vanguard edge they are my enemy and they always will be, right? right? This is a woman who can still taste the blood of her fallen comrades who fought these men, these same exact men, Reed, right. who had now crossed the border, okay? Not just the same group. Some of these literal, these same men from Al-Qaeda in Iraq. So now you have America is Alice in Wonderland, completely nutso, and Tulsi Gabbard is standing still and being sane, right? And saying, this is crazy. We should not be doing this. Right. Okay. But that means that she's only halfway to peace, halfway, mm -hmm. not more than half, right? She's just saying we should be fighting the enemy instead of fighting our enemy's enemy. Right. But she's not saying it's George Bush and Bill Clinton's fault that Ronald Reagan's friends are now our enemies. And we should call this whole thing off and their violence against us will evaporate away anyway. So, yeah, <clears throat> all that to say, she's not anti-war. She's just smart. <clears throat> she doesn't. Um, she thinks instead of fighting Iran or Syria or Russia or China, we should be fighting the people who attacked us on 9-11. And as anyone who watches this show a lot knows, the reason they attacked us on 9-11 was because we were supporting Israel and their genocide of the surrounding uh, Muslim people, that we had troops in the Arabian Peninsula, and that we wouldn't leave the Holy Land. And, you know, it says in Osama bin Laden's fatwa in 1998, he lists all the reasons for why he's going to attack us, and then eventually they did. So it's not like they just attacked us out of the blue because we're free. And Tulsi Gabbard, at least to an extent, buys that narrative and thinks that we need to continue to fight against radical Islamic extremism because it's the number one threat to our existence. And that's been the excuse for dragging us into a whole bunch of these wars in the Middle East and you know, ironically gotten us to support the terrorists that she's trying to get us to stop funding. So basically the point he's making is she's not she's not anti-interventionist. She's just anti some intervention. She wants to fight with drones. She wants to kill terrorists. She does not want to have a hot war with Russia. So even though that's not perfect, we get into this later in the episode. That puts her at the top like 90 you know, I mean, she's better than 95% of the people in Congress. She's up in the top echelon with like Rand Paul, Mike Lee, um, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash at the time. And that's about it. <laughs> I mean, there's not very many people up there. So she was way, way, way better than any of the other options. Uh, anyway, all that to say, like she hasn't, when it comes to that stuff, she has not flip-flopped. She hasn't suddenly done an about face and started becoming a warmonger based on what she said on Tucker Carlson or what she said on Fox News. 
I want to defend her on that front. This is a, an area where I've disagreed with her, but it's been a consistent disagreement. It's not a sudden change in tone. Uh, she said this even when she was like a Bernie Sanders supporter back in 2016. She has always been actively for fighting terrorists. Uh, again, something I disagree with, but not a flip flop. Um, I think Tulsi Gabbard is subject to a lot of stupid criticism that she doesn't deserve. So calling her a Russian asset, um, calling her a right wing extremist or a Putin or a sod puppet, like all these all these insults and attacks are just dumb and they don't land. But there are things that she should legitimately be criticized for. And there are areas where she has changed her tune. And I don't think she should be able to get away with it without addressing at least why she's changed her tune and also addressing that she has changed her tune because something she likes to say a lot is that I haven't changed. The Democrat Party has changed. So anyway, let's get to current stuff. Uh, last week, she announced that she was leaving the Democrat Party. She put out her first episode of her podcast. We're just going to watch um, a few seconds from that podcast explaining why she left. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. All right, so I basically agree with everything she said there about the Democrats, um, except the open borders thing. That's not really true. I mean, <laughs> things haven't really changed that much since Trump has left office on the border. Um, just the the language surrounding it has changed. That's really about it. Um, but as far as like the the anti-white racism, the cowardly, the cowardly wokeness, um, being an elite cabal of warmongers and driving us closer to World War III, all of that stuff is spot on. I mean, she's 100% right. Of course they are. I mean, you look at how insane the Democrats are now. I mean, they, they wanted to close the skies over Ukraine. Um, you know, they want to do everything they can to unseat Putin. Some of them are saying we need regime change in Russia. And none of them are looking for compromise or how to approach peace deal. So, you know, I mean, everything she's describing about the Democrats is 100% spot on. However, <laughs> a couple days after she made this announcement, she rolled out a list of endorsements, one of whom was General Don Baldick, who's running for U.S. Senate here in New Hampshire. Now, General Don Baldick is not a Democrat, 
but he is a warmonger. And I'm going to play some clips and read some articles up here to show you exactly what he thinks. Okay, so I'm going to play this clip. This is what he said right after the invasion of Ukraine by Russia had started. This is from February 28th. This is what Don Baldick said the United States response should be. Let's take a look. It's this resistance that's going to win. But what boggles my mind, Steve, is the fact that we haven't gone all in on this already, diplomatically, informationally, mm-hmm. militarily, uh, and economically. This is not a time for pause right now. We need to get in there, and we need to help them on the ground. We have columns of his troops lined up, ready to be you know, interdicted. And we need to give that kind of help to the Ukrainians. But we're just sitting back, and we're not doing anything, and we're just saying, oh, you know, everything is on the table. Well, now's the time. Putin is a global threat. He is an enemy to the world. And that's what we have to start telling people he is. And we can't take any pressure off China either. We got to go after China because they're in this with them. And we don't want them going into Taiwan. So this is huge. And we got to come together. We got to lead the world. Okay. I just want to point out, uh, this conversation had nothing to do with China, right? It had to do with Russia invading Ukraine. But General Don Baldick just brings China into the conversation and says, also, we got to go after China and make sure they don't go into Taiwan. Um, and if you watch the show, if you know your foreign policy, the only reason China would go into Taiwan in an invasion is because we provoke them. They have no... They have no... Um, reason to do that forcefully they're probably going to reclaim taiwan politically within a decade so uh the only thing that would cause an actual invasion or some sort of war is us provoking them uh but i just i mean he brought that out of nowhere there was no need for it and he injected it into the conversation in in supporting uh president Zelensky and supporting the ukrainians and what we have been doing now is just standing by There is more to do. We can do it and we should be doing it. So let's just be really clear what you mean there. Again, limited time, so I'm I'm sure it can't be an exhaustive answer. Right. But what specifically you're not talking about um, American troops. I think everyone's agreed about that. How can we help? specifically no. what should we, we have do that we're not doing we that? have indirect fires oh sure steve we have indirect fires we have indirect capabilities so does nato we have all kinds of things that we can be helping with without having to put ground troops in there and that's what he's asking for and we have to get mm-hmm. uh, more stuff in there and we have to get more uh more combat uh help in there we can do that i i know we can do it what i've is, seen what, it sorry, done to before be, sorry to interrupt what is combat I'm sorry to interrupt you. What is combat help? Just so everyone's clear what you mean. That's well, not troops. Sure. Um, we well, you know, you got to get the resistance, the stuff that they need. But more importantly, you know, we're going to have to help this resistance out. And I talked about this earlier with uh, with, um, you know, General Kellogg uh, on Fox and Friends on an earlier program about CIA findings and about using special operations troops. All right. So in that clip, he said, we've got columns of his troops lined up, uh, ready to be interdicted. He's talking about Putin's troops. So they got all the columns of tanks and infantry and artillery ready to be interdicted. That means ready for us to airstrike them or take them out with artillery. So that's what this guy wants. You know, that's what his initial response to, uh, you know, Putin's invasion is.
So, <laughs> um, right after he said these things, a Pentagon correspondent had to come out and correct the record. So I got this pulled up here. Longtime Trump advisor Corey Lewandowski told radio host Jack Heath Thursday that retired General Don Baldock's comments about Ukraine disqualified him for a U.S. Senate seat. And Lewandowski said the former president is continuing to watch the GOP primary field in a race that is not fully developed. Baldock, who took uh, sorry, who lost the GOP Senate primary in 2020, has been taking a steady stream of incoming fire over wild speculation he made during a Fox News TV appearance last weekend, his comments about how the CIA or military could get in there on the ground in Ukraine using special operations troops and indirect fires and direct capabilities to attack Russian targets were viewed as so inflammatory, he was called out on the air by the network's Pentagon correspondent. Clearly, Brigadier General Baldick is not a student of history, said Jennifer Griffin. He's a politician he is not a military strategist to suggest that the U.S. would put an indirect fire or special operations or CIA on the ground to give Putin an excuse to broaden this conflict is extremely dangerous talk at a time like this. Lewandowski expressed similar views when Heath asked him about Trump's potential role in the September primary in New Hampshire. I spoke to the president yesterday specifically about this race, Lewandowski said. And this is not the president's opinion. It's mine. The comments that Don Baldick made on Fox News this weekend completely disqualify him from a chance at the U.S. state Senate. To think that we're going to get American troops on the ground there or CIA or special forces on the ground there, I think it's a disqualifying factor. So Don Baldick was too insane for the Pentagon. The Pentagon basically had to release a statement saying, now, this is insane. We're not going to do that. And you guys got to remember, he's a general. He's not like, um, he, it's not like he was a governor or like he was just a congressman or like he was just a, you know, a, a farmer or some, or a truck driver, or just some random job. He's a general and he knew he was going to get asked about this. So it's not like it was at a town hall event where someone asked him off the cuff about something he doesn't know anything about. This is his specialty. And that was his answer. Um, and it's not just with Ukraine. Um, he's also, uh, you know, he's also said that we shouldn't leave Afghanistan. I'm going to play the next clip where he criticizes the Biden administration for leaving Afghanistan, not saying we could have just done it better or something, but that we shouldn't have left in the first place. So I'll play this clip and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah, you know, this is wrong. I wasn't bashful in 2014. Uh, in 2013 and 14, when I told the administration their change of strategy from non-combat from combat operations to non-combat operations was a strategic and policy mistake, big time. And I'm not afraid to tell them now uh, that it is another mistake, and it's wishful thinking uh, on their part. Uh, it's poor strategy. It puts Americans' lives in danger. It sends a terrible geopolitical message. Uh, across the world to uh, America, what we stand for and what we will do, how we will support our allies and how we will fight against our enemies, yeah. both foreign and domestic. This is wrong. All right. So there you got it. General Don Baldick did not want to leave Afghanistan. And you remember that clip I played from 2019 where Tulsi was talking about how we spend $4 billion every month in Afghanistan. And there's no excuse for it. Um, 
so this guy has made all sorts of inflammatory statements. Um, you know, he wanted more sanctions. He was upset that basically um, Joe Biden wasn't doing enough. That was his number one criticism. Like, I don't know what's taking him so long. He signed a letter with 42 senators, including um, Tom Cotton and a couple others saying, like, what the hell? We need to get in there and do stuff right now. So he has changed a little bit on his uh, delivery surrounding Russia. But he still has all the same, um, you know, policies surrounding China and Iran. This is what Don Baldick says about foreign policy. Don Baldick has served as a military leader across the globe and knows we must counter the Chinese Communist Party and rogue nations like North Korea and Iran. We must overhaul American diplomacy to focus on our national security, our supply chains, and our economy. Senator Hassan supports the Biden administration's failed foreign policy agenda from the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal to the administration's aimlessness on Russia and China, U.S. national security is at a much greater risk than it was just a few years ago. So realize what he's saying here. The disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. Okay, I mean, it is fair to criticize the Afghanistan withdrawal, but the problem with the withdrawal is it didn't happen when Trump organized the deal. He made the deal with the Taliban to be out by May. And then Joe Biden took over and he pushed it back to September. And then the, the, the Taliban just proceeded as usual and, you know, acted like we weren't even there. And that's why we had all this crossover. We had people grabbing onto, you know, C5s and C-130s as they were flying out of uh, Bagram Air Base. And, um, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that, that was that was the problem that we didn't leave when we were supposed to. Uh, but that's not what Don Baldick thinks. He he says the same thing he said in 2013 and 2014, that we can't reassess to a, you know, a, 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 an idea of leaving. Like we need military operations in Afghanistan. That's been his position. And then um, the administration's aimlessness on Russia and China, not their escalation of tensions, not the fact that we're trying to counter either of them. In fact, in his first paragraph here, he says, counter the Chinese Communist Party and nations like North Korea and Iran. So his problem isn't explicitly that we're pushing for war with Russia and China. It's just we're not doing it the right way. And you saw from his early comments what the right way would have been. It would have been attacking Russian troops uh, as they entered Ukraine. And who knows what he's going to say we should do about China. If, you know, Tensions are getting hot with China. If this guy's in the Senate, what is he going to say that we should do? Um, and tensions have always been hot with Iran. What is he going to say we should do about Iran? Um, I certainly don't trust this guy at all. Um, he's already shown us who he is when it matters. He's shown us that he's not going to have a clear head at all when, um, you know, when, when trouble arises. And he he's a he's a neocon. I mean, I, I try not to use that word too much. Like some people call Tulsi Gabbard a neocon. I don't think that's fair. Uh, some people would call like Matt Gates a neocon. I don't think that's fair. Um, but this guy, he's a neocon. <laughs> I mean, he is. He he wants to fight literally everybody, uh, including North Korea. I mean, that's one we're not really talking about much anymore, but it's one that he still wants to fight a rogue nation. We need to go after. Uh, he obviously wanted to fight Russia. 
Uh, he didn't want to put infantry into Ukraine, but he wanted to put special forces, CIA, and have indirect fires and interdict columns of Russian troops. That's That would have started World War III if we had done that. That's just absolutely insane. Um, and I went to one of his events. So I heard that Tulsi Gabbard had endorsed him, which was shocking. I mean, like I said, a lot of her position switches on things have been pretty minor. She's like, it looks like she's flopping on gun control. Um, it looks like she might be flopping on a lot of economic stances. Um, and, she, you know, the Democrats have gotten crazier than her. So she can use this to be like, oh, that's just way too nuts. I never believed in any of that. Which isn't really true. She def she I mean, she wanted gun control. She wanted, uh, you know, a single payer healthcare system or whatever. But she can say the Democrats have gotten so insane that they don't represent her views anymore, and then become more conservative on those things without like too much pushback. But this, I mean, you know, she's still saying good stuff on Tucker Carlson every night on Fox News. She's talking about how. Of, you know, uh, trying to avoid nuclear Armageddon is the most important thing in the world. And if we don't do that, then there is no tomorrow. We have no neighbors. The world is gone. Uh, AOC was confronted by some protesters at a town hall where they just screamed at her for supporting World War Three. And they were totally right. I mean, she's been awful. She supported the 40 billion to Ukraine. Um, you know, she's done nothing but talk about how this is all on Russia. Tulsi's been really good on Fox News talking about this stuff and her own platform. She just did an episode a couple days ago where she talked about this. Like everything that she has said has been right. So why are you supporting this guy? And you're not just endorsing him. She came here for a few days and campaigned for him. So when we found this out, we decided, you know, tw like 12 or 15 of us libertarians decided to go to an event where she and Don were going to be speaking. And we went peacefully and we didn't have the intent to disrupt the event at all. We just wanted to ask questions because this is weird. I don't get why she's supporting him. And if there's something I'm missing here that he actually is going to be anti-interventionist for some reason, I want to know because I'm, I'm not an idiot. I know the libertarian Jeremy Kaufman isn't going to win. So if there's a reason I should vote for this guy, I want to know what that reason is. So we all went to this event and they knew who we were, or at least who some of us were. We all went at slightly different times, sat in different areas to try to hide it, but they knew who we were for the most part. And I think it was the campaign manager who came over and sat down next to me and said, look, I'm glad you're here, but we aren't going to allow any disruptions. And I told him honestly, okay, I'm not here to disrupt anything. I'm just here to ask questions. And he said, OK, after the event, there will be a Q&A and you will be able to you know, ask your questions. So I was like, OK, good enough. That's all I want. And so they were like an hour late by the time they got there, which if anyone watching has worked on Tulsi Gabbard's campaigns, you know, that's like nothing weird. She was always late, but they, they showed up late and they did the event. So Baldick got up and he spoke for 20 minutes or sorry, Tulsi got up first and spoke for like 20 minutes. And any of you guys who know her, you know, like she can give a good speech, like at young Americans for Liberty. She gave a very good speech is concise. It was, you know, critical of Biden and gave explicit points about where he screwed things up. It, it was really good. If she really wants to knock it out of the park and give an analytical fire speech about how someone sucks she really can 
But this was one of her platitude pontifications on, you know, how we're all children of God and we all need to come together and blah, blah, blah. And she did make, I think she made one comment about how we need to avoid nuclear war. And Don Baldock, you know, served in the army and he's sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution and protect us against our enemies, foreign and domestic. And that's why she was supporting him. And then she gave some social issue stuff, which the social issue stuff I can understand, to be honest. Like she was saying, we've become so divided and the Democrats are so hateful and vindictive. Uh, Don Baldick is a nice guy from what I've seen. I've talked to his wife. His wife is very nice. Uh, he seems like a nice dude. Um, he seems reasonable, I think, like in uh, as far as... Uh, you know, domestic issues go, I think like, I mean, he's being branded as some crazy, crazy right winger. And I don't really see that. I mean, he seems like just kind of a generic Republican on all the issues to me, uh, which is the problem when it comes to foreign policy. But um, then he got up there and he gave his 20 minute speech and there was nothing about how we need to deescalate tensions with a, with Russia and we need to do everything we can to stop World War Three from happening. It was all like I laid out from his website there that there's just no strategy here and that we need to have a strategy to fight Russia and China. It's not about we need to stop. It's just we need to have a strategy, which if the strategy is directly attacking Russian troops, then he's worse than Hassan. I mean, Hassan is awful. She voted for the 40 billion to Ukraine and she said we need bipartisan support for this effort against Russia. But she is as far as I know, at least, I don't think she's ever said anything so inflammatory that the Pentagon has had to come out and say, yo, <laughs> don't say that. Uh, that doesn't represent us. Um, so, I mean, it, during his speech, he actually said uh, the United States military saves more lives than it takes. So this, this guy is just a neocon. Everything about him, like we fight him over there so we don't have to fight him over here. Uh, we need to show, you know, peace through strength is one of his slogans. Uh, he's calling this the America Strength Tour as he's campaigning around New Hampshire. Um, there's nothing about humility or like trying to, you know, de-escalate tensions. It, tensions. It's all about we we don't have a strategy, which that isn't a good thing. <laughs> like to say, I mean a strategy could be a good thing, but not the type of strategy he's looking for. I don't think a good strategy would be figuring out how we can come to the table and come to a peace deal. And he has not been explicit about that. And so this is what I really wanted to ask him. Like, what do you think we should do explicitly? Like you've said a lot of statements that have been condemned by the Pentagon uh, that really set a lot of us off. And now Tulsi Gabbard, who says all the right stuff, at least about world war three, is endorsing you. So why should we listen to you? Like, what are we missing here? That was what my question was going to be. And I was, I had all his quotes from Fox news that I just showed to you guys so that I could have it there to back up my statement. Cause of course all his supporters would just be like, no, you're lying. He never said any of that. So I wanted to have the transcript ready to go. But anyway, they did, they did their event and then they just walked off the stage and then ran out the back door and never did a Q&A. So I, I think being late had something to do with it, but I also do think that they knew a lot of us were there and they didn't want an embarrassing moment. So they just whisked them off the stage and out the back door, never got to talk to them. So the following day, um, 
I met up with another Tulsi supporter from 2020, another libertarian guy that I know we're, we're friends. And we went to another event where she was, Oh, oh I, I, so let me backtrack a little bit. So there was a small scuffle at the end of this. So, uh, when they went off the stage, they went into like a lobby in another room and we actually went and tried to go talk to them. And that's when they ran out the back door. And so Carlin, um, who's one of the libertarians that was there, she started screaming, why are you supporting a warmonger Tulsi? Why are you supporting a warmonger? And they went out the back door and then a bunch of bald exporters swarmed her, uh, Carlin and just started yelling at her. And so I decided not to get into the yelling screaming match because I wanted to get to more events and I also didn't want to sacrifice an opportunity to ask a question and I still want to get Dawn on my show or Tulsi on my show. So I, um, you know, I, I just stood there and, um, one guy came up to me looking all tough and he could tell I was with, uh, the libertarians. And so he said he was a Tulsi supporter and I said, oh, yeah, me too. Two years ago. And he like was denying that I was I was like, no, I definitely was. I put in signs for her, protested her not being allowed in the debates, all that type of stuff. And uh, he was just yelling in my face that Baldick was better than Hassan. So we had to we had to vote for Baldick. And I was making the statement like, look, that's just so retarded hearing that from a Tulsi supporter, because the Tulsi supporters that I was with, that I stood shoulder to shoulder with, we were constantly being told, you have to vote for Bernie. He's the only one with a chance. And I was like, well, I wouldn't vote for Bernie. He's a warmonger. He doesn't represent my values in any way. Um, so I, you know, I, I just voted for Tulsi and I'm going to do the same thing for Jeremy Kaufman. Uh, and so they were, you know, yelling at me. And uh, one of the guys said, uh, it was the same guy who was yelling in my face. He said, uh, anyone that Tulsi endorses is, you know, good by me. And I said, Oh really? Well, she endorsed Joe Biden. So should we support Joe Biden? And he's like, well, you know, you could change your mind and Joe Biden's a traitor to this country. So we shouldn't support him. I said, okay, well, I'm not saying we should, I'm just using your logic. What about Hillary? Should we support Hillary? He's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, Hil uh, Tulsi endorsed Hillary. And he's like, she did not endorse Hillary. She endorsed Bernie. I said, I know. But after she endorsed Bernie and Bernie dropped out and endorsed Hillary, she also endorsed Hillary. So does that mean we should vote for Hillary? And he just kind of huffed and puffed and went away. And so I didn't really cause a scene. I was just there to kind of talk with people and counter some of what they said. So then the next day, I went to an event with a libertarian friend who had been on Tulsi Gabbard's campaign in 2020. And we went to a restaurant in Laconia where she and Baldick were going to come. And it was a little tiny restaurant and there were like 300 people there. So there was no room. I didn't even get inside. And I, it didn't even sound like they had a Q&A. It sounded like they just both talked for like 10 minutes. And then they did a bunch of pictures. So everybody lined up and was taking pictures. And um, so this guy and I are like 20 feet away from Tulsi taking pictures and you know this is going on for like 20 minutes all the picture taking and it's going to take a while more so there's still a line coming they're still taking pictures and then my friend yells hey Tulsi and so she turns and sees us and just goes oh my god hi and you know waves at us and then as soon as she's done taking the picture she runs over to us and gives both of us a hug now her campaign manager from the day before I think recognized me and was kind of visually shocked that she would run over and give me a hug. And 
you know, there's still people in line taking pictures. So she talked with us for a few seconds, but then had to run back, keep taking pictures. So I told her I'm coming to the town hall tonight. And she said, all right, well, I'll see you there. Um, and while I was there, um, the political director and another guy, uh, came over and talked to me and had asked why I was there. And I had told them that I was, you know, I had supported Tulsi in 2020 and I was just there to, with uh, my friend to see what was going on. And they were both there and saw Tulsi run over and give me a hug too. So that kind of validated my story because I don't know how much anyone believed me. But anyway, that night I'm going to Conway and I'm going to go into this event and try to ask the question, like Tulsi, why do you support this guy? What am I missing? This is what he said. He doesn't sound very anti-war, which is a completely legitimate question for all of us to ask. There's nothing, you know, there's no... Uh, there's nothing conniving or um, devious about that at all. It's a completely fair question. So anyway, I'm standing in line and the political director and another guy come over to me and ask me, hey, we need to talk to you because they recognized me from the day before and from Laconia. So they pulled me aside and they said, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm just here to ask questions. I said, look, um, I was supposed to have the general on my show because a few weeks earlier I'd been at a Baltic event. This was before Tulsi had endorsed him. And I sat down next to his wife, Sharon, and talked with her. And she seemed nice. And she gave me her phone number. And she said she'd connect me with Baldick and get him on my show. And I had to kind of bug her for a week or two. And then finally she got me in contact with the media team. And then the media team called me. Uh, a couple days before I was here in uh, in uh, Conway and said, we're not going to have time to get him on your show. And so I was like, okay, if there's no time, I just got to come here and ask the question directly because I don't really know how else we're going to know. And they said, well, what are you going to ask him? And so I told them, look, I've got important questions around foreign policy and he has made statements that I find troubling. So I want to know where he stands. And I supported Tulsi in 2020. You saw her run over and give me a hug. I wasn't lying about that shit. And she endorsed him. So I want to know why and what I'm missing out of here. And then I said, look, you guys are behind Hassan in the polls. If you want to win this election, you need libertarians to support you. And they're not gonna if you don't answer this question, because we all think this is the most existential threat to our existence and the most important issue right now. And they said, well, what about if we get the general on your show? And I was like, that would be great. And they said, because, you know, we're worried you're going to go in there and cause a scene. And I said, why would I cause a scene? I could have done it yesterday. I could have done it earlier today. There were plenty of opportunities I never did. And they said, yeah, well, that woman that was with you did. And I said, I can't control what she does. I'm my own. I'm my own person. And they said, look, we can disinvite you from this event if we want. I said, yeah, you can, but why? I mean, what have I done? And they said, well, well, what if we get him on your show? And I said, if you can get him on my show, I'll just, I won't go in at all. But I've already talked to the media team and they said, there's no time. And the political director said, look, I can get him on your show. And I said, look, all right, guys, fine. I will not go into this event. I won't ask any questions. I'll just buzz off. if." You can get him on my show. So we exchanged phone numbers and he has actually kept up with me over the last couple of days. So maybe this will happen, but I'm just calling once a day, making sure that this actually happens because like, I mean, the, the completely fair questions to ask the general why he said that stuff and why we should think he's going to be 
a better choice than Hassan. Why he'll help us uh, avert nuclear war? Because I mean, from what I've seen, it seems like he's more likely to get us into nuclear war than she is. Uh, I think he's criticized the $40 billion to Ukraine, which is great. But the reason he criticized it is because there's no clear strategy. And from what he has outlined as his clear strategies in the past, it's like, yikes, dude, <laughs> attacking Russian troops, not a clear, stra not a good, clear strategy. I, I actually prefer the 40 billion to Ukraine instead of attacking Russian troops. Uh, so hopefully that happens. Hopefully it comes on my show. But all this to say, like, unless there's some more light drawn to this, that I'm just massively missing something. Or if Tulsi, like, somehow pushed him in a new direction that I'm not aware of, I don't get this at all. I mean, this flies in the face of everything that I supported her for. <clears throat> um, so I am not going to vote for Don Baldick. I'm going to vote for Jeremy Kaufman. And I think the Republicans need to start learning that if they want to win races in New Hampshire, they've got to placate libertarians they can't run war hawks and get us to vote for them i mean i'm sorry but i mean we, you know we have a lot of libertarian strength in the state house and we have a lot of democrats elected to public i mean to uh you know federal office the reason for that is is because the republicans aren't waking up on the federal level and saying hey if we want to win we got to really start uh, placating these libertarians, whereas a lot of Republicans in the state house are actually libertarians who have been elected or Republicans who realize that they want to get reelected. They have to lean libertarian. So the federal races haven't like figured that out yet. And that's why so many Democrats keep winning because we don't, we're not going to go out and support an awful Republican. We'll just vote libertarian or stay home. Um, and I think we keep, we have to keep sending that message if we start just voting Republican because they're not quite as bad. And in this case, I'm not even convinced that, that he's not quite as bad as her. I think he might be worse. Um, you know, as long as they're not willing to answer that question and let us scrutinize them and let us pressure them to be better then we're not, they're not going to get our votes. So general, please come on the show. This is still an open invitation. Um, I will let you answer the questions. I'm not going to cut you off, but you got to answer for the stuff you said about Ukraine and Russia and the stuff you're still saying about China and Iran and North Korea and why we should expect you to not lead us into a nuclear holocaust. And um, I think I've already mentioned this, but Tulsi's uh, secretary actually did get back to me a couple weeks ago and said, um, okay, we're hoping to have her on your podcast soon. She's going to start up her own podcast and be doing other appearances soon. And so they first teased her podcast in January of 2021. And so I was like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, cause this was before she did her first episode. I was like, yep. All right. Whatever that soon, that could mean like next year or in a decade who, who has any idea what that means. But as you guys saw, she did release her first episode a few days ago and her second episode uh just like yesterday and now she is going on other shows she went on megan kelly's show she went on uh megan mccain's podcast she went on uh a few different ones so uh those are obviously way higher profile than my show is so i don't know when i'll show up on the list but hopefully that happens soon and i'm gonna put these same questions to tulsi i think they're completely fair things to ask her um and I want to dig into what her philosophy is a little bit more. I don't, you know, a lot of people think she's like, I mean, this one really is this endorsement of Baldick is the one that's like 
that I just don't get. This does seem like a violation of principles. But as far as like the rest of her philosophy goes, I don't think it really ever existed. I don't think she had a philosophy. It's like her philosophy has been, I want what's best for the American people. So she's been like a nationalist, a patriot, and a little bit of a hippie her whole life. And those are David Fight's words, but I think it's pretty accurate. And she's never grounded herself in any sort of philosophical constraints. So, for example, Ron Paul had a philosophy of non-aggression, and so that would drive his decisions. But if you're if, if what's driving your decisions is I want what's best for the American people, that can justify away almost anything. In fact, um, Tulsi was here a couple days ago. She compared Joe Biden to Hitler in a statement where she said, like, even Hitler thought what he was doing was right. And that's where Joe Biden is. Joe Biden thinks what he's doing is right, but it's not helping the American people. So you can kind of flip that around and be like, okay, Tulsi, but you've shown like during the beginning of the COVID stuff, you were kind of all on board with it. And then you changed your mind, you know, a few months later, which is great. I'm, you know, a lot of people I realize sucked on that and changed their minds. We shouldn't, I mean, we should hold them accountable for anything they did, but I'm glad she changed her mind on that eventually. But it's like, look, if you, um, you know, if you're willing to support that type of stuff, it shows that you don't have a hardcore philosophical grounding that keeps you in line with a set of ideas and, you know, holds you accountable. So I want to talk to her about some of that. Like, what exactly is your philosophy? And I want to challenge her on a few areas where I think she has actually flip-flopped or changed for a nicer word and ask her to at least acknowledge that she's changed and tell us why. Uh, so that'll be an amazing episode if it happens. I know I've been teasing it for, forever, but I, I mean, I've done everything on my end that I can. I've harassed her, annoyed her. Uh, I saw her in Florida a couple months ago and then a couple days ago here in New Hampshire, both times very friendly. Um, so I think that relationship is still intact. But, you know, she's a political figure. And she, so regardless of what a nice lady she is, what she is, she's a very nice lady. She's very cordial, very, uh, very kind. Regardless of all that, like we got to hold her accountable, especially if you campaigned for her like I did. So um, that'll be interesting. But um, keep your eye out. I'm hoping to get Baldock on the show now because the campaign said they would make it happen. <clears throat> so I'll be working on that. And if they don't, I guess I'll just have to go to an event again and try to get a question <laughs> and then maybe they'll kick me out because they didn't like technically kick me out of this last one, but they did ask me to leave basically in exchange for an interview. So, all right, but let's make it happen. Mr. Baldick, I, uh, you know, if you want to win this election, this is a question you have to answer to libertarians. Um, so, you know, come on the show, but that's it. Um, I'll be having Shane Hazel on soon. I think, uh, next monday he did a great job in the debates in georgia unfortunately it looks like jeremy kaufman isn't going to be in the debates here in new hampshire they've got stupid polling requirements they didn't have in georgia um but yeah I, guys just watch this stuff and research baldick you know um he hasn't given me any reason to trust him uh and then on top of like all these crazy things he said about foreign policy he has He's been a flip-flopper. Like on the election, he uh, you know, he signed a letter with a bunch of generals or something saying that the 2020 election was stolen. 
And then a couple days after he won the primary, he said, look, I've learned and I've talked to a lot of people in New Hampshire. I don't think the election was stolen. So it's like, dude, <laughs> which one is it? And if you're willing to change your opinion on something like that, that flippantly, why should we believe you're going to stand up for us? So these are all questions you should be asking of your elected officials. And I don't think he'd even disagree with that, that we should be asking these questions. So I hope to have him on and then I'll be having Tulsi on at some point. But I, I hope this was helpful information for anyone in New Hampshire or anyone nationally who's wondering about Tulsi. Like, just like with Donald Trump, there are legit criticisms of her and then there's bullshit criticisms of her. And just like Trump supporters, they her her rabid fan base kind of groups all criticisms of her into the bullshit department where that's not exactly accurate. There are criticisms of her that are valid, just like there are ones of Trump, like Trump with Yemen or uh, his support for the Saudis or his support for Israel or. Uh, you know, doubling the military budget or all the drone strikes. So those are all completely legitimate criticisms of him, but it gets lumped in with, oh, you know, Russian asset, um, you know, literally Hitler or whatever. The same things happen with Tulsi, like the questioning about the war on terrorism or, um, you know, why she's campaigning for a war hawk. Like th those are legit and it gets lumped in with, uh, you know, Assad, Toady and Russian spy, which are bullshit. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting coming down the pipe to see what we got. Um, thanks for watching. Subscribe if you haven't and follow me on all those alternative uh, media platforms listed in the description. I will catch you guys on the next episode.